Today's Corner 3 is sponsored by Yahoo Daily Fantasy. Yahoo Daily Fantasy is coming out of All-Star Weekend hot. Every day they're running a zero management fee fantasy basketball contest. That means Yahoo is making nothing on this contest and equals better odds for you to win. One in five people who play will at least double their entry fee. Tired of playing against people with 150 entries? Well... There's a limit of 10 entries per person. So don't miss these contests. Go to yahoo.com slash daily fantasy to play. Use promo code yahoo25 when you make your first deposit for $25 and free play. Now it's time for the corner three. Welcome to the Ringer NBA show. This is the Corner 3. I'm Kevin O'Connor here in Los Angeles. It's Ringer Associate Editor, Danny Chow. I'm here. And from Dallas, Texas, it's Ringer Staff Writer, Jonathan Charks. What's up, guys? Basketball is back. Let's do it. Today's podcast is produced by Bobby Wagner and recording at 9.12 p.m. Pacific on Friday morning. A.M. A.M. Oh, did I say p.m.? Yep. Oh, my. I'm, I'm out of it. The NBA finally returned last night with a really... Really strong slate of games. We're going to focus on the Western Conference end of things today because the standings are so tight over on that side. There's only four games separating the five-seed Rockets, then Utah, San Antonio, LA Clippers, Sacramento, and then the 10-seed Lakers. It's the playoffs already in the West since only four of those six teams can make it in the postseason. Last night was really good for the Lakers. They trailed the Rockets by 19, then made a gigantic comeback to win 111 to 106. Danny, What's your number one takeaway from last night's game for the Lakers? I mean, their starting lineup was, what, five dudes who were no shorter than 6'7"? Supersized. It was in- incredible. And yeah, I-, I mean, that's kind of my takeaway. It's like, all right, this is this is what the Lakers are going to look like going forward. Yeah, and then the second half, I really liked the lineup. So they played uh, Reggie Bullock, Josh Hart, and LeBron together. I think, like, let's not overcomplicate this, right? Reggie Bullock, they picked him up in a trade from the Pistons. Looks really smart right now. Josh Hart, that's two 3 and D wings with a lot of size and shooting ability. And I didn't even realize, I looked back at the numbers, LeBron and Josh Hart this year are plus 8.1 in 570 minutes. Like, that works. I think if you put guys who can shoot around LeBron James, like, it's going to work at least somewhat effectively. Josh Hart played 19 straight minutes in the second half last night after not playing at all in the first half. He recently had a PRP injection in his knee because of an issues he's having. Um, but they they need Josh Hart to to be what they what they potentially could be in the postseason. I think with Ingram uh, having 14 free throws last night, got to the rim really whenever he wanted uh, in that game. I, I think for Houston, their lack of size at the wing position what was apparent last night, and with limited options in the buyout market. Um, I'm not sure that there's much out there for them uh, to improve in that area. Yeah, it's kind of frustrating because like, I think we'd both kind of heard rumblings that they were trying to trade for um, the two guys that the Clippers ended up getting, you know, Jermichael Green and Garrett Temple. And like, you think on that on paper, it's just like, oh, this is a no brainer. You get that was the Brandon Knight. Yeah. yeah. Basically just trading for Brandon Knight's expiring contract and Man, Garrett Temple. They got, what, sh- they got Shumpert instead. <laughs> they got Shumpert instead. <laughs> who uh, is what? Who's 6'4"? 6'4", 6'5". Yeah. Um, Taller, depending on the hair. <laughs> right, right. So yeah, like, is there anyone left on the buyout market that they could conceive of? Like, uh, I, I feel like the, the biggest guy here is the guy that they basically, you know, just bungled the entire situation. Daniel House is not on this team. They need Daniel House. They, they really that was do. a good take you had, Danny. Yeah, about so Daniel House. probably the hottest take that I have this season, and it's it's kind of low grade for for that kind of disclaimer. But 
the fact that they bungled Daniel House's situation with Gary Clark Jr. and, you know, put him on the two-way, basically losing him right when he was getting, like, extremely hot from the field, it was, like, inconscionable. No, I, I mean, I think with Lakers last night especially, um, it, se- it seems like a, a switch was uh, flipped in the second half of that yeah. game. Uh, LeBron James started trying harder on defense. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I still question how sustainable it might be uh, for him to do this. The playoffs are starting right now. Playoffs are starting earlier for LeBron than they have in quite a while. Mm-hmm. So um, The thing with these lineups for Lakers last night, that was interesting. So if they're going to play LeBron, Hart, and Bullock, and that only leaves two spots left, and so they played Kuzma and Ingram, that means there's no five again. And we remember how battles times got killed in the first half of the season when it was LeBron and Kuzma, quote-unquote, playing the five. And I wonder, like, if LeBron's going to try harder, can those lineups... That's what I guess you were talking about, KOC. Can those lineups stick up over the next two months with just no size at all up front, just all size in the perimeter? It's kind of like lineup of deathy, right? Theoretically. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, always the conversation with going small, it's how sustainable is it? How long can you do it over the course of a full game? Um, right now, we're in playoff mode for them. So as long as they can get 30, 35 total good minutes out of their bigs, McGee and Chandler and maybe Mo Wagner as well. If Wait, you can, is he ahead of Mike Muscala, your boy Wagner? Yeah, <laughs> Muscala as well. I mean, if you're able to get 30 to 35 good minutes out of those bigs. I think you can go small for the for the rest of the game. I mean, uh, it's it, the matchup. It's really funny because we're we're talking about playoff mode and and these are the lineups that we saw in the past, you know, three or four iterations of the Cavs where you're basically just surrounding LeBron with as much shooting across all positions as possible. Um yeah, like I I don't know if it's sustainable especially if you're if you're forced into playing Kuzma like big minutes at the 5. And LeBron's just going to be like, all right, yeah, take this for the next 14 minutes while I kind of, you know, get my legs under me. And they're, on, they're still not at full strength either. Lonzo yeah. Ball is still out. Well, that's the I'm curious about. If Lonzo comes back, are there minutes for Lonzo and Rondo? And how will Luke Walden manage that benching one of those guys? That'll be interesting. Um, based off how Rondo's played, do you, do you see him continuing to play over Lonzo Ball? Or, or do I don't you, think he should. I don't think so either. But does Luke Walton have the juice to bench Rajon Rondo? I don't know that he has the juice to do that. But that's what I'm kind of curious to see is how much control does Luke Walton have over these rotations? Or is it really LeBron pulling the strings right now? I mean, I think you can play both. Maybe maybe you're playing it based on the matchup. You're playing it based on the situation. And plus, Hart is still not totally healthy either. Maybe with him, there, there'll be an element of rest where he's not playing 25 minutes. Maybe his minutes will be more like 15 to 20. 19 straight minutes last night with the knee issue. That was... That was unusual. Um, kind of says a lot about uh, KCP, huh? Him and Lance. <laughs> yeah. I think those two guys might be. Yeah, and, and that's what I mean. Maybe it's not as much Rondo or Ball, and it's more like Ball or KCP. Right. Uh, I think that's where the minutes could be taken from. Like last night, LeBron had that moment where KCP took a, a three, missed it, and LeBron just sighed, rolled his eyes, went back slowly on defense in the first half. One, 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 not one of his best moments on the defensive end of the floor. Uh, for Houston, they blew that lead, lost by five points. But overall, it was one of Chris Paul's better games. Uh, la- last night, 9 of 15 for 23 points, had 10 rebounds, 9 assists to only one turnover. Uh, did fall out at the end of the game, as did James Harden, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but Chris Paul looks like Chris Paul for, for the first time in quite a long time. I thought he looked tremendous, Danny. Yeah, I mean, you know, there are always those moments with these elite players who, you know, they they're always going to look like themselves for stretches. It's it's just more now like okay, how much longer can we get this out of you in the regular season? And if we do get more of this, 
does it impact the you know the playoffs at all? Like where he has historically collapsed year after year. Well, you, you know they did they did bring in Chris Chioza for extra depth. Oh yeah, bench, so. game game changer, clutch clutch uh, shot making. We got to talk about this man. So the Rockets signed two guys to ten day contracts because they weren't even on a fourteen man roster. And it seems like they're just trying to get under the luxury tax no matter what. Like, if I was hard, I'd be pissed about that more than, more than the refs. Like, this is, looks really bad for them right now. Terrence Jones, man. How can you not be happy about Terrence Jones? He's had a huge year in the G League. Again, I mean, he's had a couple other good years in the G League, and he just has not I mean, translated at all. When was the last time he played meaningful NBA minutes? Was it two seasons ago? It was in Houston, I think. Way back in the day. Which, which I was always been a like, T. Jones guy, but... Yeah, me too. I loved him in the drafts. And as, as I mean, I'm just saying, like, it just seems like all they're worried about is luxury tax. They've got James Harden in the prime of his career, Chris Paul, who knows how many years he has left. And they're literally like pinching like ten thousand dollars under the tax. For what it's worth, the last time Terrence Jones played in the NBA was March twenty sixth, twenty seventeen. He played a minute forty five second for the Bucks against nice. the Bulls, uh, game seventy of that season, had two rebounds and the one minute forty five seconds. Extrapolate that out to thirty six minutes. Good it's a lot of rebounds. Yeah, a lot of rebounds. Well, I guess, is there anybody left in the buyout market that they could pick up right now? There's, I mean, Markeith Morris is gone. He's gone. Yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's a tough, tough, tough loss. But there's really nobody else that I think makes impactful minutes for Houston. Yeah, like, I, I mean, there are probably... Mellow, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Had to do it. <laughs> ben McLemore? Oh my I mean, if you, I mean... There's, there's nobody. Right. Zach Randolph. Uh, this was a bust know, this mean, year, the buyout market. Yeah, it really yeah, didn't get... Yeah. I mean, the, the Raptors were rumored to have been like basically at, at like the, the one yard line with McLemore and then they just kind of pulled yeah. out. Yeah, I mean, so, not, not, well, they went got Jody Meeks. Maybe, maybe yeah. not a bad decision to, to pull out. But right. um, no, no, with Houston, I, I, how, with this team last night, obviously a lot of the conversation was about the officials. Uh, Tim Donahue's BFF, Scott Foster. Um, the Rockets are 0-7 with Foster as an official this season. Him and Chris Paul have long had their issues. Uh, Rockets fans are understandably not happy. There were two fouls called on James Harden that were just outrageous. Right? Um, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. I don't care if it's a national TV game. I don't care if it's not on TV. That those should have been calls that should not be made. Uh, but however, Danny, you made the point when we were prepping for this pod, and you alluded to it a little bit ago. It it it, it speaks to a greater issue. Let him drop his take. When you're alive, yeah, it's just drop it, Danny. I don't know. Look, the the Rockets fans complaints, the Rockets team complaints about the officiating yesterday, completely fair, completely fair, well within well within their rights to to talk about this. But when your entire system is kind of built around Harden and his ability to kind of game the system. I don't know, your your complaints kind of, they ring hollow a little, right? Like, there's a little bit less to to go off of there. Uh, I, I mean, there's no, they're not getting know. much sympathy, that's for sure, right. from the rest of the league. Yeah, which is interesting. Uh, I was at, like, at last last week at All-Star Weekend, I, I was in, a, like, an NBA referee roundtable thing. It was, like, me, Ben Golliver, and you know, a handful Ooh, of other K- writers. K- Kevin no, 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 no. It was, like, it was, like, a handful of writers. I was, like, eight, eight or nine people, and, you know, Monty McCutcheon in there. And one, one of the things that he, Monty mentioned is how, like, he want, he strives for the officials to call the game the same in the first quarter to the end of games. And, <laughs> like, with James Harden, I often wonder, does that work the other way? Would he get so many calls that sometimes... He's getting called for some of these ticky tack fouls that other guys may not. Like, does it work that way with him? Right. You know, I I do wonder that. Um, 
with James Harden, where it just worked against him last night with the amount of calls, the perception of the amount of calls that he gets. How much do you guys actually think about like refs, like over the course I never of a season? Do. I think I think NBA officials are like I'm sitting there in that meeting hearing all this talk about like oh we strive to be so much better we get we currently get like ninety ninety four percent of calls that are made correct and all that I'm like NBA officiating is pretty good overall right it's a hard sport to officiate it's like yeah I understand like the need to be better you should always be striving to be better no matter what you do but it's like NBA officiating an NBA game as fast as it moves with the amount of t- little calls that can be made on any single play is really hard. Yeah. And I think overall it's pretty good. I, I just don't think about it that much. I really don't. I mean, like, especially with Sharks, you've been burned in, you know, in the finals, oh. you know, like oh, you, God. you have yeah. all the reason to, you know, I mean, you, you oh, to yeah, care. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You saw James Harden before James Harden with Dwayne Wade in the, the 06 finals. Hmm. But yeah. I know I was an IM ref in college and I was refing like C-level basketball. It was so hard. <laughs> yeah. So I get it, man. It's hard to ref basketball games. I never really sweated too much. You know, and that was like just one other thing about the refs. One of the things Monty mentioned, I mean, and this was like on the record for what it's worth. So it's okay that I'm, I'm saying this. Uh, Monty said something in there about how like it can be hard for like a young official, you know, to make calls right you know in a, in a road and road atmosphere or like dealing with a star player can be tough for an inexperienced official and that had me thinking about like, there's been a lot of people saying oh add a fourth official like that that could help the game you know, it, more accuracy having another set of eyes out there but maybe not what it if could, having, it could muddy the waters it could hurt yeah like, yes. have, too many cooks in the kitchen kind yes of thing. Right. Ha- and having another inexperienced official on there it's it's not like you're gonna pluck out another guy who's been doing it for 30 years right it, I, maybe in the postseason you can do that, but for over the full regular season, like it just, I think it could muddy the game. It could hurt the game even more. Overall, I don't have an issue with NBA officials. It's pretty good for the most part. I, I just think fans are, you know, obviously always going to be leaning towards the more like conspiratorial <laughs> nature of the game. But I'm just like, look, man, sports, basketball, it's all just a, a world within the world, and like. It's the, you know, the corruption that we see everywhere else. So just, oh, just get getting dark. Just just get used to it, you know? Speaking of, the Sacramento Kings played last night, and Kings fans would like also like to talk about how the officials have screwed them in the past. Right. Um, they lost to the Warriors 125 to 123. And like, you know, the Warriors, yada, 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 yada. They Steph Curry, amazing. DeMarcus Cousins battling his way, you know, battling his way back. They're great. But the Sacramento Kings on the road. Losing my only two points. Buddy Hield said earlier this week that he's, quote, very confident. I'd bet my house on it that the Kings make the postseason. Hey, that's a house in California. You know it's pretty expensive. Yeah, that's very expensive. What do you, what do you think about Sacramento's odds of actually making the postseason, Danny? Right now, they're a one, one and a half games back from the Clippers for the eight seed. Do you take them seriously as a playoff? Oh, yeah, ab- absolutely. I, okay. I, I take them seriously. I And I actually want them to make the eight seed. I think, mm. I they're think, a fun team to watch. For yeah, sure. so I think fun. that cross-NorCal uh, matchup, Warriors-Kings, you know, like Kevin Durant made the comment yesterday and it, it's kind of like a backhanded compliment to the Kings. It's like, we, this is now our fourth game in which we we should have lost the Kings, they, but they, they didn't. They've won those games by a combined 12 points. Yeah. Like these are competitive, competitive games and you don't know if it's necessarily the Warriors just not taking them seriously or whatever, but like... I think that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I, I really want them to make it. It's just what's concerning to me is when the Kings do lose they tend to lose pretty big, which is why their point differential is much, much lower than than most of the kind of playoff contenders in the West. That's that's one big thing that concerns me. 
I think worth doing. We should reset. They've really changed their team up since the trade deadline. Like yeah. they made a lot of moves last week. So let's just say so at the start, they traded for Harrison Barnes, and he's now starting at power forward. They've benched Bielitsa entirely. He's out of the rotation. Well, so they, last night they started. That's what I saw on the article. I was looking, reading before the pod came out. He's out. Are, are we so we're sure about that? Because it, it's, what, it's really just been one article. game. Like I, I this is the game after the break, and so yeah. they're going to start. So then they 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 lost Shumpert too, right? So now they yep. have Fox, Buddy Heald, Bogdan, Harrison Barnes with the four, Collie Stein at the five, and then they have Bagley and Harry Giles off the bench as the bigs. And they brought in Corey Brewer. I didn't realize that. Yep. And they have Corey Brewer, Alec Burks on the wing. It's a very different team. And you mentioned Marvin Bagley, Charks. He's been getting progressively better this entire season. Last night, he had 28 points on 8 of 19 with 14 total free throws. Even had a right-hand finish. He's been doing a little little bit more of that over the course of the year. Bagley's progress, to me, has been one of the stories of the year across the league, not just for the Kings. Uh, I think with them, they're... Look, Bielitz is a good player, um, but I think really trimming their rotation is a good overall move. You need to figure out what you have in Harrison Barnes right. if he can return into that that Warriors. I mean, he's not a three. I can tell you that right now. If you're going to have him, <laughs> he's a four. Yeah, like, Charks, you actually wrote a piece very early on in the season that kind of talked about the Kings as more of a structured team than necessarily, you know, the you know, the components that they have on their roster. So that was back when Bielitsa was really making a huge difference in terms of spacing the floor at the at the four or five and having Willie Cauley-Stein being the one sole rim runner. And now we're kind of seeing, like, they're trying to have their cake and eat it too in developing their young guys while also being competitive enough to really make this final, you know, eight, eighth seed push. Yeah, they have interesting lineups because off the bench, they'll play the two bigs. And I think Harry Giles, like he's a guy, if he can kind of keep growing next to Bagley, because he, he kind of he kind of complements Bagley really well with his ability to step out and kind of be an interior defender. And I think that's him to watch. I guess that's really more next season than this season, because he'll probably play like 10 minutes again. What's your assessment of uh, Giles' development this year, Charks? I mean, good. He didn't play like in four years, right? Like he, <laughs> yeah. he really sucked for a while, but now he's starting to pick it up a little bit. I mean, this is a great year for him just getting back on the floor. I mean, really across the board, this team's getting development from everybody. Yeah. Darren Fox, if he's not the most improved player of the year, you know, behind like Pascal Siakam, he's right See, there. I don't like giving second year guys MIP, but that's really... Why though? I mean, I mean, like I saw someone... It's a natural progression. I, I know. First year, like, second the, year. Dan, Dan Feldman had a good tweet about this yesterday though. It's like... It's like saying a number one pick shouldn't be rookie of the year just because they're the number one pick. I think just because a guy is a second year player, well, they don't I, I always get better. More, like to me, MIP is more like this guy really improved himself out. It's unusual. Like, wow, well, he made a really great, we're honoring a guy who made a big leap I think later he did. in his career. I, I really, but I'm saying yeah, first I, and second year happens yeah. all the time. First and second year, plus there was just the big reason why he's kind of stepped up is because they got rid of Zebo <laughs> and they got rid of yeah, all they of the, the whole They system, got rid yeah. of all of like the, the dead weight of you know, all of the old aging guys on their roster. And it's just like, they let him be him. I mean, So is Siakam the winner then in your eyes? I think so. If he's like the third year player though. Like what second year, third year? But the, the, the I might, I'm, I'm working on a uh, Josh Richardson story. I might say he's the most improved player. Mm. He made a huge leap this season from three and D guy to leading scorer on a team. I mean, like my thing is Josh Richardson was already good. Like he was already a productive player. It's right. like the definition. It is. Like Josh Richardson is also a guy who should be in the conversation. I agree, but he's like he's already a good player. It's yeah. like Buddy Heald last year. You could say he's putting up more volume numbers, taking a lot more threes, but he was already one of the league's best shooters last season and the I, year before. I think for that with, with Siakam, you're you're seeing a complete like 
role change too, yeah. though. You know, like last year, he was literally just like an energy big man that you had that could maybe make a play, you know, off the short roll every once in a while. Now you're like, okay, this dude might be a point guard at, at certain stretches. Yeah. Like, I think I think his his case is very... Yeah, it, I, like, I like the role change thing. That's yeah. big to me. Like from a guy, a supporting cast guy to a primary option. That's always the biggest leap to make in the NBA, I think. That brings us to the NBA Watch of the Night. Tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, the Raptors are hosting the San Antonio Spurs. It's DeMar DeRozan's Ooh. return home to Toronto, your favorite city on planet Earth, Danny. Oh, man. So, yeah, DeRozan, I, I think the one thing that Raptors fans really miss from DeRozan is just he's a phenomenal quote. He'll give, like, ridiculous analogies. Like, shouts out to the one Michael Phelps analogy he made a couple years ago. But, uh... Yeah, he's he's just been really appreciative of his time in the city, and it's really showed. And I hope this game is a lot better than the first time these two teams oh, then Kawhi's up. return. Oh my yeah, god, that, was, that, that, was, that game was terrible. Bad. I mean, the Spurs got to win this game. Actually, they've been really struggling before the break. Mm-hmm. They they were getting killed in that road trip they were on, like losing every game by twenty points. Yeah, they have been struggling as of late. Their defense has slid the past month and a half or so. Uh, they had a, their December on the defensive end of the floor was tremendous. Is there any reason uh, for optimism about their defense moving forward? Well, I, th- I wonder if it was just a schedule. I feel mm-hmm. like San Antonio is just more of a decent team this year. And a decent team, so their road games, they went at Sacramento, at Golden State, at Portland, at Utah. That's just a tough year, a decent to average team. And they got killed all four of those games. I think they're really more about the schedule. Like, they're a well-coached team. They have some talent. But they go on a long reach against Western Conference teams. They might be in trouble no matter what. Yeah, tonight, San Antonio needs to get off a, a, a off to a really good start for their second half. Which their schedule isn't tremendously difficult, but in the Western Conference, there's always going to be those tough is, games. Is there a, Do they have a lot of road games coming up? They are on the road for three games. Toronto, New York, Brooklyn. Then they have a, a long homestand in Detroit, OKC, Denver. Yeah, they don't have too many tough road games left looking at their schedule. So just like at, there's like three or four tough ones. There's, they're not too bad right now, actually. Tonight, it starts off against the Toronto Raptors. Remember, if you want to watch every NBA game, subscribe to NBA League Pass on NBA.com or your local cable or satellite provider. we got two more Western Conference teams that we haven't discussed. Utah Jazz, they have the softest remaining schedule. Danny, they play the Suns three more times. They, they, get, Oof, a, they get to fatten up on, on a lot of bad, bad teams. Um, and, you know, this could be the difference between them, I mean, bumping all the way up to the fourth seed, right? Possible. It's not out of the question right now. Utah is two and a half games back from Portland. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, like, just to make this clear, Portland right now has a five-game lead over the Kings for the ninth spot. It is highly unlikely that they were they they could fall out of that spot. That's why they're not included like in this in this discussion. But there's still a chance for Utah to leap up to that spot. Of course, especially with the way um, they've played them past month and a half or yeah. so. Um, Charks with Utah. Uh, Donovan Mitchell has elevated his play as of late. Um, Dante Exum is still out. Uh, I mean, I wish that was a big deal. You know, I love Dante Exum, <laughs> yeah. but I wish that was like, oh, when they get Exum back. I just Dan, 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 uh, look at Danny's face. It's just sadness, but also happiness. Just come on, Dante Exum, come just, come out, come back, man. Like he, I don't even know if he, is he going to play that much when he comes back. Look, it's going to be the exact same thing that happened last year. He's going to have one 
brilliant moment against a star player in the playoffs and everyone's just going to be salivating and then <laughs> we're going to have to wait another four months for us to like even see him on the court in like a official yeah, capacity. At the rotation. I don't know. You know Quinn's going to play Royce O'Neal and Jay Crowder. Those are Quinn Snyder guys. Royce right. O'Neal's really good. Yeah. yeah he's a good yeah. player. He's he's panned out really, really, really nicely. I, I, I think it, with him at, at Baylor, um, I don't think I could have seen him be this good. Well, he went to that European finishing school. Yes. He went yeah, to yeah, overseas. Yeah, yeah. School of Hard Knocks, you know? Yeah, it's, uh, definitely. Um, Rudy Gobert, what's the argument for him to win Defensive Player of the Year, Danny? He's just he's just extremely good. <laughs> like, I, I, it's it's literally the same argument every year with him, except this year I feel like he's done a little bit better, you know, being out on the perimeter. He's a little bit more comfortable, and that's all you can really ask for for a guy who's 7'2" you know, 270, having to like kind of like maneuver his way out uh, out there. He's a little bit more comfortable there. I mean, that's that's really it. He's so consistent and he is what yeah, allows... I mean, they, they built their system you know, around him, right? Yeah, yeah. that's the thing. It's like his unique skill set is allowed to create like this elite defense. And there's not that many great defenders around him either anymore. It, it's like, you know, team defenses are all system-based right now. Like it, it's not... You're, you're not necessarily getting a team over the hump with one player. Rudy Gobert is the closest thing to that. Then right now, the LA Clippers are occupying that eight seed. They are game and a half up on the Kings, uh, two and a half games up on the on the Lakers. Landry Shamit, uh, Doc Rivers said, will be the starter moving forward. That's two rookie backcourt starters and SGA and Shamit, then another young player and Zubats at center. Very unusual for Doc to be playing so many young guys, but I guess he doesn't really have a choice this yeah, season. Yeah, it's like, it's like he he had like some sort of revelation. Like, this was just not his thing. Like, you had to be 25 Ever. and older. Uh, it was play. a revelation that their pick is lottery protected. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of, Charks, uh, are the LA Clippers better off making the playoffs or not? Because they lose their pick to Boston if they do make it. Um, and if they don't make it, uh, it's top 14 protected again in 2020. Um, and if they don't make it again next year, then it becomes a second in 2022. Uh, what, what is the more advantageous uh, scenario? What's well, a tough LA? question. I mean, it, it kind of, I think it all comes back to Kawhi Leonard, right? Cause he's the guy they want to get. And then who knows what Kawhi is thinking half the time. Right. And I wonder like all the time, them getting Kawhi the time. Leonard. Yeah. <laughs> it, is, I feel like them getting Kawhi Leonard is probably more about the Raptors than them. Right. Yeah. Right. It's probably more of how the Raptors do in the playoffs than the Clippers do or don't do at this point. If you're trying to build, it, it kind of goes both ways. If you're trying to build a championship contender, you need quality, you know, cheap young labor <laughs> on, on your team. Uh, so that's the case for them, you know, losing out. But man, I would love to see SGA in the playoffs. I would love to see Ooh, how, he SGA. how he handles that, you know? They have a load of depth too. I oh mean, yeah, that's a bias Harris trade. Uh, obviously, all the talk is how it opens, you know, cap flexibility for them. Got them picks, um, but they have a lot of depth in their roster. Well, really, I mean, we should talk about this trade with um, KOC's nemesis when they've traded Avery Bradley. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, um, Avery's been pretty good for Memphis. Um, however, sure. uh, Temple and Green, yeah. those are great bench guys yeah. for a playoff contender. Garrett Temple's could start for a lot of teams. Yeah, Gar- Gar- Garrett Temple, uh, I mean, he's not like a big name or anything by any means, but solid player. It's a solid overall there, player. There's, yeah, and he's extremely well-liked around the league, mm-hmm. and he's he's done a lot in the community, and you know, he's just a perfect 3 and D guy. Jermichael Green has been a starter for the past, you know, Two, two years? Yeah, and like he yeah. struggled this season, but right. overall, the past couple of years has been good. 
Yeah. And, and they're bench now. So they got them, Montrez Harrell, and of course, Lou Williams. Like that's four really, really good bench Starter players. level guys. Yeah. And yeah. Ty Wallace is capable of getting minutes as well. Uh, they Isaac's a, boy. Yeah. They have a really deep roster. Really deep. And, and, you know, and the weird thing is, is moving forward, this team could look completely different if they have the summer that they want to get. And they may not have the depth that they do now. Um, okay. I got a question for you guys, actually. This is a real quarter three question. Are you surprised Shamit's ahead of Jerome Robinson? Like Robinson was picked 15 spots higher in the draft. They play the same position. I mean, no. Uh, I th- I forget if I had... Sh- I think I had Shamit ranked ahead of Robinson. I'm pretty sure I did. I wasn't um, very high uh, on Robinson. Yeah, me neither. Um, yeah, he was definitely seen as kind of a reach at the time. But he was the 13th pick. I'm just surprised. I figured they'd get him more minutes after all these trades, but I guess not. I mean, there was just so much talk about how, like, after the draft, everyone was just, look, Shamit's ready. Shamit's yeah. ready to play right now. Like that was all that we heard out of what the Sixers, the Sixers camp uh, for a lot of, you know, the preseason. So I, I mean, maybe all that seasoning really helped him in uh, at Wichita State. I think he's younger than Robinson though, too. No, I, 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 well, I think actually I just looked at our, our draft rankings last year. All three of us had Robinson ahead of Shamit. Mm. All three of us had him about 15 on average spots ahead of Shamit, which is yeah, surprising so. to look back at in hindsight. I think with Shamit, there's the the looming injury concern with, with the sur- the surgeries that he had in college. Um, that's what knocks him down. But there's no doubt like of his shooting ability and his secondary playmaking ability. With Robinson, I think, wasn't that the selling point of Robinson too? Was his shooting and secondary playmaking ability? Yeah, I mean, I I, I, I think Shamit's probably ahead of him on defense right now. I, I think Shamit is also ahead of him as a shooter for that matter too. There's a more versatile shooter. He's also uh, had more reps this year. Yeah, a lot, lot more opportunity, no doubt about that, and that plays a factor. Um, of these six, um, let's let's turn to five thirty-eight. They they give the Clippers a six. I was surprised at how high their odds yeah, were. Yeah, they give the Clippers a sixty-one percent chance of making the postseason. Lakers at twenty-six percent. Kings at nine percent um, to make the postseason. Of these six, Houston, Utah, San Antonio, Clippers, Kings, Lakers. What are the four? That you think in the postseason I mean, with about a quarter of the we think Houston and Utah are getting in? I'd be stunned those two didn't get in. I feel like those two really aren't in. So, the so they're locks. Those two are locks. I, I, I think yeah. so too. I agree. So then of San Antonio, LA Clippers, LA Lakers, and Sacramento Kings, which of those two get in, Danny? I think the Spurs and... Uh, the Pull the trigger, Danny. The Pull Lake, the trigger. The Lakers. Okay. Ah, uh, it, it, I know. It, I know. Are you on the same page, Tarks? I mean, I cannot bet against LeBron. Like, I like I'm mm-hmm. one of those guys. Like, I'll, if LeBron has like ten bad games, I'm like, okay, game eleven, LeBron's gonna be superhuman. Like, I've seen LeBron be great for so long. I'm gonna bet against him after it happens, not before. So I, I gotta put them in. And then, God, I don't want to be lame, but the Spurs do have a lot more veterans, and I feel like <laughs> that does help in these races. Ugh. I guess I'll say Lakers, Spurs. I'm disappointed that we all agree. <laughs> well, yeah, I well, know, yeah, it's sad. I don't know. It's just LeBron. Who's going to bet against LeBron? Come on. There, no, nobody wants to say the Kings or the Clippers? I mean, I really want the Kings. I really want the Kings to make it, but I, I don't think they're quite there yet. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I just, it's like Chark said, I can't bet against LeBron James. We'll have a couple I mean, more. they're really, with our track record, that should be great news for the Kings and the Clippers. They I know, be, right? Yeah. yeah. And there will be a couple more Scott Foster specials the rest of the season, too, if it means getting the Lakers. I mean, this <laughs> is a lot of money for the NBA. They got to get LeBron in the playoffs. Yeah. Mm. Get him that seven seed, get him to play Denver first round, and get him a little run, you know. I I just have a feeling that we're gonna get a first round series of the Jazz and Spurs and like no one's That'll gonna be watch. the NBA the NBA TV series yeah. for sure. No one's gonna watch that series. With that said, 
just one other question about the Lakers. Is there any advantage to them missing the postseason? Is there any? Well, here's, I don't think there is. You're going to make it in the postseason with LeBron James, but having a higher draft pick, maybe more pressure on the front office. That's, you know, that the, would from, be, from LeBron's that would be the thing. Like, yeah. there putting be pressure as, on the front office yeah. regardless. Putting I, as yeah. much pressure as yeah. possible on the front office is probably the only thing that. And that that's an, that could be an does. advantage for LeBron, not necessarily for like the whole organization, right? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, this entire franchise yeah. is just like bending to the whim of LeBron now, mm. so like might as well. No, I I just feel like if LeBron is what he's thirty four, he's got like a trillion miles. Like, how many playoff runs does he have left? He really can't afford. Yeah. I mean, get him uh, in the exactly. And, and, and like, who knows what happens in the playoffs when LeBron turns into playoff LeBron? That's what uh, we're all waiting for, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, he averaged what thirty four points last year in the playoffs, and just what it was almost like a triple double. Mm. It was mm. it was ridiculous. Like we we don't forget. It's just like, when you look back at the numbers, they just, they don't seem real. <laughs> I mean, that game yeah. went against the Warriors, yeah, right? The before he broke his hand. That's not like the best thing <laughs> he ever had in his career. That was like, yeah. truly incredible performance. It was yeah. like 50 points or something. It was insane. I mean, and also, I mean, most importantly, it provided a, a historic meme. Uh, then that's just the sure. incredible That is true. Meme. That, that uh, is just, most important. I mean, that that is what matters. The, the memes. Um, in other news, According to Jeff Zilgit of the USA Today, the NBA submitted a proposal to lower the draft eligible age from to 18 from 19. Um, finally. It had, and it had nothing to do with Zion's injury. Nothing. nothing. It, was very it had nothing to do. No, nothing at all. I, I mean, it just it didn't so happen that Zion Williamson got hurt the night before and had the thing with his shoe. That, that has nothing to do with it, Danny. Yep. Of course not. Nothing to do with it. But it's still, what, 2022? Yes. So it's still... <laughs> If this we happens, still have years of draft class yeah. ahead of us. <laughs> if this happens, it wouldn't happen until 2022. Uh, most of the conversation this week has seemed to really focus on Zion. Should he shut it down? Um, why, why go back to Duke? Um, Charles Barkley last night was, you know, made the point, the counterpoint that we play basketball. That's what we do. You know, right. like let him. He should be able to do whatever he wants to well, do. Well, let's reset you know? this. Like the injury, so it's a grade one knee sprain. What does that mean? Like, what's like the timetable for uh, an injury ac- like that? According to Jeff Goodman, he said it's day to day. Which these days, but knee injuries. I yeah, mean, mm-hmm. these days, day to day injuries have lasted for like two weeks. Yeah, LeBron was day to day for like six weeks. I mean, I think with Zion, it's clear if he's not healthy, he shouldn't play. Absolutely. Um, but uh, the one thing that seems to have gotten lost in this whole conversation with him is like he had something to gain from going to college for a year. If, if he had been he able definitely to, improved yeah, his stock, no doubt. Like if he had entered the draft last year, like if he had been able to, him and R.J. Barrett, those let's just say those two entered the draft. Mm-hmm. Zion probably goes like sixth, seventh, maybe maybe even eighth. Like who knows what happens in workouts? He, he was very much a highlight real player mm-hmm. who everyone was just like, okay, but let's see him in actual game action. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and now now he's virtually guaranteed to be the number one pick. Talked about as the the best number one prospect since Anthony Davis. Uh, Are we sure he uh, isn't well, better? I mean, he could be, could be. Um, that's arguable. Uh, but I think with Zion, like that one year at Duke was advantages for him financially. It was in the short term. Like if he had been drafted sixth or seventh last year, his right. contract would have been around four years, twenty two million. This year is the number one pick. It'll be uh, four years around forty four million. And like, yeah, you you enter the league a year late, so you're missing out on getting that second contract a year a year earlier. However, like there's no guarantee that that would be there, whether it's because of injury or you're just not the player people expected you to be. Um, but in the short term, 
he's gaining more financially, um, and he increased his you know value off the court as well. I think going. And to I think his, I want to say, say something about the college experience. I think that yeah. gets on like as corny as that sounds. Like, so I'm from Texas. I went to UT when KD was there. I think KD looks back at that year of his career as probably the most fond year of his career. Right? Mm-hmm. He gave like five million bucks to the school for one year of college. He built like a practice center or something. And I think like he has that one year like. OKC, Golden State, New York. Maybe he's never loved, but he always supposed to come home to in Austin. Like we always had love for him at his school, right? The NBA's a business. I mean, I think Carmelo is another example. Like Carmelo has that one year at Syracuse that he can always look back on with fondness. Championship. Yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, I think there's something to that. I don't know. Yeah, I think so too. Even DeMarcus Cousins in his rant this week about how he called college BS and how Zion should shut it down. He also said at the end, he's like, my time in college is some of the best years of my life. Right, right. Right? And and Zion himself said, believe him or not, he said in that GQ interview that he would have went to college for a year anyway. Mm-hmm. And you know what? For him, it probably would have made sense to do it because he would have looked at his situation in the draft and been like, really? I'm projected as the sixth pick or the 10th pick. I'm going to go to year and sh- go to school for a year and show that I'm the number one pick, right. that I'm the guy. So there's a lot for him to gain. There's a lot for other players to gain to go into school as well. Um, I mean, you you look at LeBron's decision, and he's talked about this multiple times. He's just like, look, this was the closest I've ever gotten to like actually doing the whole hat thing, <laughs> you know, for the recruitment. He's just like, I thought this was good. obviously it blew up in his face, you know, the whole decision and the nightmare that that created. But in his mind, he was just like, yeah, this is basically I'm I'm about to relive, you know, a, a moment that I never was able to, you know. Danny, you mentioned in passing earlier that you're not sure that AD was actually a better projected number one right. pick than Zion. What is the argument for Zion as the best since then? That would mean since Odin or Durant in the Odin, OA draft. Durant, yeah. I mean, it's just... The 07 draft, rather, my the, bad. The way in which he can do everything on the court. The way that... This was this Duke team was the what probably arguably the best recruiting class of all time, and yeah, he that's a fair argument. and he is better at everything than <laughs> he is better at everything compared to all of his other highly regarded teammates at everything. Well, I mean, I think compared to AD, just like the passing ability, like Zion's got that ability, which we haven't always seen it do. We've seen flashes of like yeah. just running point himself and creating shots for other people. AD's more of a finisher. He's only added passing much later in his career than Zion had. I think that's really the kind of separating, differentiating factor. I, I think with AD, the argument can be made that he's just a far superior defender than Zion, though. I mean, Zion, Zion can, can really yeah, defend, I know, though, I know, man. I know. I, I think with the lack of rim protection would be the the advantage that AD But Zion, I see him block quite a few yeah, shots. Uh, I mean, he, I, he's I not think, a bad block guy for a 6'7 guy. I think the the game against UNC and how they were able to just live in the paint was probably mm-hmm. a testament to how much they miss Zion on defense, uh, you know? I, I agree. I mean, to me, uh, Zion has flashes of Draymond Green. I've seen yep. it where he just defends up at a 6'7 center. No, I don't know. No doubt about it. It's like with Zion, you can nitpick easily. Like, you can nitpick at sometimes like he falls out of his stance on the weak side. He doesn't recognize help situations. Uh, rotating and pick, roll, pick and roll, it's not always there, but it's like he's also a teenager. Right. With his defense, though, it's like there's absolutely Draymond upside uh, because of the intensity he plays with on that end of the floor, the love and passion for the game that he clearly has. That that's that's what helps make Draymond Draymond. He obviously he can read the floor uh, like a like a, he's a computer. He he has good athleticism, moving laterally and everything else. 
so does Zion, but the, it's the passion for the game that just that X factor that Zion has that gives him a lane to become a five position defender like Draymond Green in the long term. He's not quite as long physically, but he's also significantly more athletic to overcome that three, four inches in, in length, uh, wingspan, standing reach difference. He's also that, got like 50 pounds on Draymond. <laughs> and, and with that weight charts, that ultimately is one of the concerns, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know, but like you said it that way, it doesn't make you wander. Like that's just a lot of weight on those knees to be jumping. I don't know. Maybe you should lose some weight. I'm not sure. 280 pounds, give or take. It's oh, a lot man. of force on on his legs. Um, I, I he'll be the second heaviest player in the league behind Boban. Second behind Boban. and LeBron apparently. LeBron's a two hundred pounds. <laughs> which which by the way, like LeBron was joking about that. I have also heard that he's two eighty. It, 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 maybe he's not right now, but maybe at one point he was. At one point, I think it, definitely. I mean, it, it wouldn't stun me. It, it's like Ben sure. Ben Simmons is listed at two twenty. That's BS. I've heard he's two fifty. Right. Like, yeah, there's the, no way he's two twenty. Yeah, no That's way. It, it, it's so like when it, when it comes to these weights, it's it's hard to say. But point is, is like he's heavy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I feel like like LeBron, even in year three of his career, he was already at like two sixty. So like we're yeah. It's hard to play doctor though with Zion. It's like, yeah, you can say, oh, he's he's two eighty. There's, you know, the, uh, he had this weird knee injury. I, I think until teams look at his actual medical and see if there's some reason for concern, lack of cartilage in his knees or something like that, uh, it's just really just baseless specul- speculation so, until then. I think. Refresh my memory, like so. Blake broke his kneecap uh, before his rookie year. How did yeah, that, how did that happen? I think he was landing after a dunk and he just heard it. Right? Is that right? That's kind of the concern, right? Like with freak athletes. And I, I talked to my brother about Zion, who he usually saves all of his draft knowledge for like the day before the draft. And I was just telling him, Zion might be, you know, the greatest prospect we've had since blah, blah, blah. And he's like, I haven't seen any of his dunks. I don't know what he looks like, but you're telling me he's 285. I'm not drafting that guy. Ooh, really? <laughs> he's just like, I've been burned way too much mm. by big men who, you know, have gone through the AAU system and have put on a lot of miles early on and he's like, I've been burned too many times with those bigs who who get those injuries early. And, and your brother's I mean, a Clippers fan. Career, yeah, yeah. First five years, all star, and then he next three years he missed a ton of games. It's possible. It's not like you're not taking Zion Williams yeah, though, because of injury concerns. Right. That's <laughs> right, right. That's why <laughs> right, I was like, even if even if he tore his knee, right, he'd still go number one in the draft. I, think I don't so. think that would change anything. It, it's it's like it's one of the quotes I had in my um. My uh, nugget story on Jokic and, and, and their situation from Tim Conley. He he cited like some other executive said to him regarding Michael Porter. Um, there's injury concern, but there's no concern about the basketball side of things. So the same thing with Zion. It's like you you might have concern. Which by the way, it's not like Michael Porter's situation with a like he needed back surgery. Right with Zion. <laughs> It's a grade one knee, knee sprain. <laughs> like, it's not a big deal unless there's something in the medical that says there's reason for concern long term. Right now, it's just really speculation based off that weird thing that happened on Wednesday night. Overall, Zion. Uh, and the shoe, man. Isn't that crazy? He yeah. blew out his shoe. Oh, that that was, tells you right there. That was freak nuts. Is. That was absolutely nuts. Um, we, we did a, a mock draft, big board type of thing this week. I'm not sure how to describe it, Danny, but we essentially did a snake draft, um, that, not considering yeah. teams. Um, 
Zion went number one as expected, uh, but there were some surprises after that. Uh, number two, Danny, you selected Jarrett Culver, a, a yeah. guard wing from Texas Shot Tech. Texas Tech. Um, John Morant, a Murray State point guard, went third. And then fourth, another surprise, John, you took DeAndre Hunter, a uh, forward from Virginia, which means RJ Barrett didn't go until fifth, and then Cam Reddish didn't go until sixth. Um, there was some surprise on social media about these picks. Uh, I guess let's just start off with, with uh, Culver. Uh, let's say I'm somebody who has never watched Jarrett Culver play. I just I'm not interested in 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 just betraying NBA basketball to watch Texas Tech. Sure, I've Fair. never seen Jarrett Culver. What is the argument for him over these highly regarded prospects that I've heard and read so much about in RJ Barrett and Cam Reddish? He is a do it all wing who might not be done growing. It's the first sentence I have in my in my write up of him. He's the tallest six five player I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> uh, he's he's listed at six five on ESPN, but you watch him play, and I've watched him week after week, and he just seems to keep getting taller. Like there have been there are some truthers out there who believe he's somewhere in the six eight range. <laughs> Six seven six eight range, and he just has these huge, just, like broad, sloping shoulders this that, is like, like basketball info wars. Yeah, or no, seriously, and, and it's it's all on you know the Stepien who do really good uh, draft oh, work. You saying yeah. that's basketball? No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> <laughs> they, they do great yeah, stuff there. Great, yeah, stuff, I love yeah. the Stepien. Fantastic. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know the way I described it was you know NBA draft you know dark web. You know it, it's it's <laughs> literally like he has the body type of someone who might still be growing. He has like these these shoulders that remind me of AD except he's obviously much shorter. But like when you have a guy who he does have wide shoulders. has has mm. the potential to be, you know, an all-around player and he has the potential to be 6'9", 6'8", 6'10", like that is a game-changing NBA player. And I think he I mean, just if has Jared Culver 6'10", oh my god. Right. That'd be incredible. Like obviously, this is all speculation. Like, we have have no idea how tall he is. We're doing like Shaq now. (laughs) This is some serious speculation here. It's like he's twenty already. I mean, he could maybe grows like a half an inch or an inch. But um, yeah, six foot ten, Jarrett Culver. I don't know. Maybe in our dreams. I I just think when you look at him, there is like an innate feel he has for the game for like getting players off balance that I don't see from Reddish or from. Barrett yet. And maybe it's because he's a little bit older, but I just think he knows how to like, you know. He definitely has a high basketball IQ. I yeah. think that's pretty fair. He can he can get those guys disarmed just like by moving his hips and like suddenly, oh my God, he has a wide open lane to the rim. Um, his shooting numbers have been pretty disappointing this year, but I'm pretty sure it's because he doesn't have any help around him. And so he's kind of having to create for others. He has to create his own shot. But I think I think his shot will translate once he kind of settles into a smaller role. Do you have like an NBA comparison for him? Like a, like a realistic one and like a, an upside pick? Yeah, I think the way that his career has gone in college, it really reminds me of how Otto Porter jumped from his first year to his second year. Um, the usage, the the way in which, you know... The improved shot the improved, too for yeah. Porter? I mean, Porter became a, a, an amazing shooter uh, in his second year at Georgetown. Uh, Culver kind of regressed in terms of percentages. But overall, I think their bodies developed. Culver from freshman year to sophomore year, he's a completely different player physically. And I think that is, you know, reason to be optimistic. Charks, are you on the same page with Culver? 
I don't I don't see him. I could see him being a lottery pick for sure. I feel like top five is probably a little high, but I can see. I like his game. I think he was better than Zaire last year, and Zaire was a top 15 pick. And on the other side, we have DeAndre Hunter. Charks, what is the argument for him again over uh, R.J. Barrett and Cam Reddish? Okay, so DeAndre Hunter, I, to me, I think he's very underrated. I think playing at Virginia has people not realizing how good he is. So Virginia plays the slowest pace in the league in the country. So like, you don't get very many stats at Virginia, but UVA guys can all play. Like you look at like Mike Scott, Joe Harris, Malcolm Brogdon. Like they really coach them up. And Hunter is a way better athlete than those guys. He's six eight, two twenty five, two thirty, seven foot two wingspan. Pretty athletic. He can shoot threes. He can get his own shot. To me, I think he's like a floor three and D guy with really the ability to get 18, 20 points possibly in the right system. I really love his game. I profiled him before the season. I got to talk to him for a while. I just got this like OG tingle. And if you give me like the OG feel, <laughs> I'm going to put you really high. Brief aside, I love that when you started listing uh, UVA greats, you started with Mike Scott and not Brogdon, who is having an oh, incredible season. Well, they, but Joe Harris too, actually. Yeah. Those, they're all really good. Hall of Famer, Joe Harris. Yeah. My thing is, is with both these guys, particularly with with DeAndre Hunter, I really, really, really like him a lot. Like, there's a baseline for him to be a Damari Carroll type of player, uh, just a solid, versatile defender who can hit spot up threes for you. Um, but one of my one of my existing concerns with Hunter, I just it's just been nagging at me since last season with him is like, I don't know where the feel and the instincts are necessarily. He's like slow to react with a lot of things on both ends of the floor, whether it's help defense or, or whether it's on the, on the offensive end, even his jumper mechanics are slow. He's slow to make reads as a passer and he's gotten a little bit better. Um, but I wonder like with these other guys that you, you imagine him as like a three and D a stellar three and D guy. Like what is, what is Robert Covington without just his excellent off ball help defense? But I feel like Hunter's got handles though. Like to me, he's got a way higher ceiling than those guys. Just because he's got the ability to put the ball on the floor and get his own shot. Yeah, and and and, and like that's the flip side. Like he's polarizing in my own mind. It's like right. in, and it's like yes, he he makes some slow reads, but he also has some flashes off the dribble, right? And you imagine him against switching schemes in the NBA of a guard on him, he can post on him, ISO on him from the perimeter. Uh, you imagine him against uh, slower guys. Granted, he's not particularly quick. Um, he's quicker than like a traditional big. He just seems like a guy that there's more to his game than he's been able to show in Virginia's typically conservative system. Oh, yeah. And Virginia kind of has become the new uh, Syracuse stigma. You know, like, oh, he plays in a zone, so, like, we can't know what he, you know, does on man-to-man defense. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think everything that Charks is saying, it's like, they're really hiding what he could potentially be. I, but, I, like... I when I watch him, I'm just like, mm. yeah. I see I, what I, you're saying. Like, I definitely agree with you about the feel. He's not on the level of Jared Culver to feel for sure. Yeah, right. And, and I just, I, I don't know. Like, I really, I really want to love Hunter, uh, but I, I just, I don't know. I have, I have a hard I just, time. I with just him. think with him, I really like his progression. I mean, he was not even barely a top hundred recruit. Yeah. And I think he's added things to his game every year. And I just, I get this. I feel like he'll be even better than he is now. I think he's got, and too, like, I think he's got the work ethic. I think he's got what he really reminded me of OG, man. He really gets to work, gets in the gym. He's not worried about publicity, not worried about hype. Like most of these guys, they'll say they're not they're about the team and they're not worried about their own stats. Hunter actually is that guy. And to me, I think that's gonna carry him really far too. You know, to get back to the original question, by the way, I think it's outrageous to take either of those guys over Cameron <laughs> or RJ Barrett. Like it is just 
It is outrageous, I think. Yeah, I just just wanted to start a debate. You know, we just wanted to start the yeah. conversation. Um, I I don't know, like R.J. Barrett. You're like how how much does his like his clear weaknesses at Duke like do they matter in the NBA? Yeah, they matter. Like he's not a if he's not a perfect prospect, but he's still also like just a teenager who can who's putting up 23 points, a really good rebounder, eight rebounds per game. And like his passing, his tunnel vision is rightfully not. Like he has moments where he just barrels into the lane when he has an open guy, and he should kick it out. But like he's a good passer for a wing. It, like, it's, like we're like we're looking at him like he's supposed to be Steve Nash. Right. No, no, he, he's a wing. It's kind of what he does when he barrels into the lane, too, though. Like He's he's athletic, but he's he doesn't have that kind of I don't I don't know the right touch. Word. I don't know. Yeah, he doesn't have great touch. He's not a great finisher. He, I don't think he has like that dominance. that wiggle. I don't know. Like he's not like necessarily Let's, the guy who's going to be like you know going around you and like. See, to me, the concern with RJ is like the way he's kind of made like taking the ball from Zion and Reddish. Like you look at him on an NBA roster. If you draft him, RJ's thinking he's the man. Like, I'm not sure he's going to accept a small role in an offense. I'm not sure he can because he doesn't shoot very well. So no one's going to guard him off the ball. And if he gets the ball, that ball's going to go up. I mean, look, like, there's legitimate concerns about R.J. Barrett. Like, the spot-up jumper is average at best right now. He's a subpar free-throw shooter, the tunnel vision, everything. Like, there's reason for concern. I just think the upside is there with him long-term. But, like, KFC, like, if you're Atlanta, are you worried that if you draft R.J., he's going to, like, fight with Collins and Young but for control of the ball like will you accept no. the small role next to those guys I, I mean of course that that's something on your mind but i i just think you can if you're if you're taking a projected a likely three and d guy with the third pick or whatever or second pick i just i just don't i just don't think that that would be the wise thing to do when you when you could later on draft like a pj washington different type of player but like a pj washington type in the middle or late first round um a lot of these, like we mentioned Damari Carroll earlier, a lot of these 3 and D guys are drafted not in the lottery. They're drafted in the late first in the second round, right. regardless but, of the draft class. But I feel like with the ways that, you know, the styles have changed in the NBA, maybe it's time to prioritize that more. Maybe it's not necessarily getting a, mm. a you know, a, a especially, <sighs> it, I mean, I it, know, it really depends on the system. I, I think uh, something that me and Charks have talked about is like, Look, there are only like what five mega stars in the league, and the rest of them, the rest of the stars in the league are kind of built around, you know, the situations in which they're they're fostered in. I guess we should also talk about Reddish. Yeah, yeah. On the on the flip side, there is Reddish. I want to like him, but man, he does so many dumb things. It's hard. I don't know. <laughs> I think with me, one of the pet peeves with Reddish is like this dude, like not finish around the rim. No. <laughs> For someone who's six foot nine with length and, and athleticism in the open I mean, in terms of talent, Cam Reddish's talent level is just unreal. But yeah. You just don't see it in the games. That uh, I, I think with Cam entering the season, there was a conversation about him becoming like a Paul George-esque player. And that is just not the case. He doesn't have the same intensity on the defensive end of the floor. The at-rim at finishing is not there. Uh, but I think with him, you kind of need to reevaluate and just recalibrate your, your assessment of him in the lane. Maybe it's not a Paul George lane, but maybe it's a... Gordon Hayward type of lane, like like I mean, pre- present present is, day Gordon Hayward. Yeah, but, he gets yeah. a ton of steals, which is encouraging for his length. Like, yeah, Reddish doesn't even try hard; he gets a ton of steals. I mean, or like a Rashard Lewis type, someone who's long. He's big threes. enough to be Rashard Lewis. Yeah, I didn't think about that. Yeah, I, I mean, I just I really really like Cam Reddish, and I think with his youth and his is uh, just the the 
the sheer ability to just create space on the perimeter is super value in this league. It's like the inverse of what we talked about with RJ. RJ can get to the rim and there he can draw a lot of fouls, not the best finisher. With Cam, he he doesn't necessarily get to the rim, doesn't necessarily finish well, but boy, he can create on the perimeter still. He can still spot up shoot for you. He still has length and athleticism. He can shoot off the dribble. Right. Yeah, he can still, exactly. And so these are very, very valuable tools in the NBA where maybe he's like that, three and D guy with upside to be something more. I, I'm going to be honest with myself uh, right now. And if Culver is actually just six, six, I would probably put reddish number two on my big board. Ooh, I like it. I, I would like take it. reddish reddish over Barrett for sure. Oh, why are we all but, on the same damn page? Jeez. We, don't, we don't even talk. <laughs> to each other. We don't even talk to each other about this. <laughs> uh, let's let's move well, we, on we from have the draft. Time disagree over the course. I of know the next year. we yeah. do, I, we'll, we'll and I'm not I'm not married to radish over RJ at this moment either. But um, I feel good about it. Let's move on briefly and close this out. Just looking ahead to the weekend. Oh, hey, okay. So I want to put in one thing though. We got a Pistons Heat Saturday night, the world's saddest playoff race. I think that both teams are at 26 and 31 right now, and a riveting fight for the eighth seed in the East. So just just beautiful. I, I mean, can't. You, you can't count out the magic, right? No. Yeah, they're in the mix too. I was looking at five thirty eight. It looks like the winner will have like thirty seven games for a playoff spot. Oof. Oh, for the seventh man. and eighth seeds. That's the, that's they're projecting it right now with Charlotte too in there. Too. Orlando only a half game back right now. Yeah, I'm telling baby. you, it's a fight to the finish in the East. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> Orlando winners of uh, five straight games. Facing Chicago tonight, uh, they have a good opportunity to win that one. Uh, then on Sunday, we have the Oscars. Since this is the ringer.com, we have to talk about it briefly. <laughs> what was your favorite movie of 2018, Danny? I really like this documentary called Minding the Gap, which you mm. can watch on Hulu. Uh, it's about kind of like these, these skaters in a small town in Illinois. Um, and I think through like childhood traumas that they've, that they've endured that aren't really brought up among the group but they just kind of like they've connected even though they don't really know each other's lives all that well it's just like this beautiful like portrait of, of small town life and and how i don't i it, it's really it's really a touching touching movie and that's called mining the gap yeah i'll have to check that out uh charks what was yours i'll stick in that same lane uh three identical strangers true story about three triplets who are separated at birth reunited at 18 so for me, it's a little, my in-laws actually adopted one son. So I kind of got to see the adoption experience like firsthand. And this movie, like if you ever know anyone who's been adopted, like it's an incredible movie. It has a couple twists you don't see coming. And it really kind of changes your view on the whole nature versus nurture debate. It is a fantastic movie. I'll, uh, I'll take a different different lane here. Upgrade. <laughs> That's my favorite movie Upgrade. of 2018. Upgrade is uh, set in a dystopian future. It's like ex machina, but with action. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, basically, it's like someone who's who got in a major uh, accident, got inserted with some a computer chip that is able to give him super strength, except it's not quite as wonderful as it seems. Mm. It's a very, very good movie. Who's in it? I've never heard of this movie. Logan Marshall Green looks a lot like Tom Hardy. Good actor too. Deserves more future parts. Oh, so it's a bootleg Tom Hardy movie? Yeah, but <laughs> but it's it's a bootleg movie, but it's also really really good, really entertaining. Does he do like okay. weird, weird voices? He does like Tom Hardy. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I just googled him. Yeah, after you after you listen to this podcast, everybody just definitely Google uh, Logan Marshall Green. But we'll have to check those all. Mining the app, three identical strangers, and upgrade. That's all we have time for today, though, guys. That was fun. Thank you. All right, y'all. Looking forward to next Friday. 
And thank you for listening to The Corner 3. Please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Tell everybody you know about the show. Tell Shay Serrano. That would be really appreciated. Special shout-out to Bobby Wagner for producing the podcast. Thank you again for listening. On Monday, Heat Check will be back. And then Tuesday, it'll be me and Berno. Till then, hope you have a great weekend.